Adventures, and welcome to the Mike Flares Podcast, coming to you today from an ancient pyramid deep beneath the frozen wastes of Alaska, where we've just discovered a fascinating room full of eggs. My name is Martin O'Dwyer, and with me today is your host, Connor O'Brien. How are we doing today, Connor? I am. I, I, as soon as you are, like, below the frozen ice, I'm like, I know that movie. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. I, okay, that, that movie, okay, those movies get a lot of shit, because they're not, like, great, but I love the lore of the predators like hunting humans as like practice and then the aliens are the ultimate like killing machines the so they can, yeah, yeah yeah so if they can kill the ultimate killing machine then they are the ultimate killing machine i love i love that whole setup and the, yeah, the, the way yeah. that like like why do cultures in africa and in like central america and stuff both make pyramids oh because these aliens taught them to it's re it's really cool idea it's, yeah. I, i'm good by the way thank you <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah folks if you can't guess today we're going to talk about using sci-fi in D D, which is very exciting i'm really really looking forward to it but yes uh Alien vs. Predator was the film I was referencing there. <laughs> yes, uh, the classic Alien vs. Predator. Which I think I think my Predator watching literally went like Predator, Predator Two, Alien vs. Predator, um, in, in like when I was a kid. Uh, I distinctly remember my dad taking me and my cousin to the cinema to see uh, Alien vs. Predator, and I got like super freaked out by it. Now to think of it, it was a trailer for that terrible, terrible video game adaptation movie House of the Dead. Uh, but I, I think I was like eight or nine when i went to see alien versus predator and i just got super freaked out by the trailer because there's like this dark shot where like a zombie comes up to someone's face and it cuts to black and you just hear like the sound of someone being like bitten and all like the flesh ripping and that just freaked me out as an eight-year-old really badly i had to go i had to actually leave the cinema and take and like get some air and come back but the film as an eight-year-old was sick because when you're eight you know nothing about good story structure all up <laughs> okay okay um, do you... I recognize no one from this movie. I, I just looked up the 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 cast here because I don't remember this yeah, movie at all. It's a terrible uh, movie. I think it's Uwe Boll directed it, and he is a notoriously terrible director. It has a three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's... three single digit. That sounds oh right. Like it's based off. Do you remember, like, when you were a kid, and this is going to be a very Irish reference, but you know when you were a kid and you went to like the Hinch or something and to like the arcade or the amusements in there, and there'd always be like a zombie shooting game where you were in an old house surrounded by a swamp, and you would just kind of go up the floors, and zombies would pop up like time crisis, and you'd have the the light guns and you'd shoot them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's House of the Dead. And they made a movie after. They did. That was around the time of like the first Resident Evil movie, which is actually one of the best terrible video game movies. Um, around the time of that and around the time they did like, yeah, I think it was like around the time of that and their House of the Dead and they did like, yeah, it was like that early 2000s, like 2000 to 2005, six period where like they were just doing really terrible video game movie adaptations and then continued also... to do so for the next 16 years. Yeah. I also, <laughs> um, there was also a... There's, there's one person I recognize in the cast, and it's Erica Durant, who is uh, Lois Lane in Smallville. And oh! she's the only actress I recognize yeah. in the entire cast. Man, I I always feel so sorry for Smallville once I heard about, like, the certain, the, like, stuff that this studio was like, you cannot do this. Like, like the, you can't do this, this, and this. Like, you can't put him in a suit. He can't fly. Like, all this kind of stuff. I was just like, oh, wow, that show is, like, shockingly decent, considering the limitations that were placed upon it. Oh, I didn't realize that that that, that they had such a. Oh, so what was D? Was it DC specifically? Was like we don't want you doing a Superman show, so you can do like a Clark Kent show if you'd like. Can I, I think? I'm honestly not 100. percent I just know it was like part of the rule, like a condition of making the show, 
he can't fly he can't ever wear the suit that's why if you like the last episode of smallville um, yeah is like him in the lift and he pulls the, the shirt open and you see the blue underneath and then yeah. like there then it cuts to him outside and it's someone like but it's like someone looking up at him like flying i think it's actually oh. erica durant as yes. lois lane it, is watching him fly away it yeah. is it is yeah. she's actually a really good actress but um she's like she like the film but like the the show doesn't look at him it swings around to look at her looking up at him and i think maybe the yeah. last shot of the show it swings back around and you don't even see him you see his outline behind like the sun or something i was so gonna say do, do you see like a shadow and a kind of yeah. cape kind of billowing in yeah. the shadow yeah, yeah yeah you never actually see tom welling flying in the suit and it's such a heartbreaker but yes uh today oh, we're gonna talk about sci-fi in D D. Um, and also, fun fact, Connor, the name for the predator species is the Yatuja. That's right. I, 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 I'm not super well versed on... on I, I've seen the Predator movies on both of them anyway. Uh, I'm not super well versed on them. Um, you could play a really dope, like, Thriking... I want to say, like, what's what would be, like, the most techie... Yeah, you could play, like, a Thriking gunslinger. And... Or do, like, a, a Watcher Collie. Oh... The artificer artillerist maybe yeah was... and you could you could pretend like one of your your arcane cannon is like a shoulder mount instead of in your hand yeah i know i just picked fighter because like the the predators are so like combat orientated and hunting yeah, yeah. And there isn't really a range or subclass that's techie so i was like yeah yeah gunslinger it's, um because <laughs> you can still you it... can still use like spears and stuff and like because you're was fighter. it alien versus predator 2 that um the the shoulder mounted cannon got damaged so he like pulled it off and he like just kind of clicked it out and it became like a, a, a he was using it like a revolver or something like that or he gave it to someone I think and he so. was maybe i want to say it was alien versus predator too uh because in in alien versus predator they, they, they just give that um the last like scientist that's left they like give her a predator spe- no they don't give her a predator spirit she kills an alien and the predator rips the alien's head off and cuts its tail spike off and makes her a spear out of the tail spike and like a shield out of the skull. Uh, yeah, because because the aliens aren't are immune to their own acid. Yeah, yeah. Um, he like squeezes the acid blood out and and shows her that it, it's unaffected. Uh, but yeah, it, it, and they get the the head. I remember they that alien or that predator, I should say, dies. Yeah. And she's she's standing over his body, and then the big ship decloaks, and they're all standing there, and the the head guy gives her a spear holds it out and he collapses it and then he gives it to her as a as a gift for mm. helping or fighting alongside them or whatever because she's got the um hunter mark on her cheek that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh man there's a really like, i know they're not great movies yeah. but it's fun like it's fun stuff uh there's some really cool like comic books in that like uh kind of universe as well where they've done batman versus the predator and they've done mm. um there's like a predator comic where a predator comes to earth i want to say in like during like the age of piracy so i want to say it's like the 1700s or the 1600s or something like that but he has like a jew he either has a jewel with a pirate or there's like he's hunting aliens or like, i think like aliens get implanted in the pirate's crew and he's like the only survivor and he like kills an alien and like the predator kills the rest and then the predator um i think he gives him a gun and then the pirate guy gives him a, like a flintlock and they kind of go their separate ways and that's the flintlock that the predator gives to um is it Murtaugh? no that's 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 um that's fucking lethal weapon uh gives to the yeah. the main character of predator 2 when he leaves Do you know they give him a flintlock pistol yeah yeah because he beat the yeah. other predator right yeah because yeah. he beat the other predator that's from that 
Predator comic. That's like a that's cool. That is really cool. Anyway, yeah. we should probably actually get in our, get around to talking about. I sci-fi. honestly <laughs> just want to talk about Alien and Predator all night. <laughs> well, we can, we can probably like filter that in or slip that into our general chat. Just one last thing. Okay, one yeah, last thing. Yeah, let's go. Was yeah. it was it in the second? I want to say it was the second movie. It might have been the first Predator. Which one was it that the Predator spoke and it it actually turned to the protagonist and it called them a mother? Uh, oh, we're, we're, seven, we're seven minutes in. Are we okay? <laughs> Uh, we're eight minutes in. I think um, I'm not sure, <laughs> but we'll go with it. Um, sure. I think that might have been the first one because in the first one, doesn't like like Irony's like you're one ugly motherfucker, and then like at the end of the film, he's like blowing. Oh, himself maybe up. it is. He like sets the wrist gauntlet to blow up, and he's like motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Yeah, you're good. Okay, that's you're, last you're, part yeah. of the question done. Okay, okay. You're, you're getting you're gonna be bleeping a lot. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I think we have to be 10 minutes before we can say fuck, so... Oh, sorry, there's another one. Look, here we are. Sure, look, it'll be grand. Uh, YouTube, grow up. This is life, okay? People say bad words sometimes. Yeah, exactly, and some of those are the best words. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I almost said a swear word. You, I, I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely get it, get it pulled. Um, yeah, but, Connor, so, important question here. To, well, get, get a bit serious, but still fun. Um, is sci-fi... Fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think we classify them differently mm-hmm. um, because one tends to be like, um, I think that I think it's like it's like a maybe like a slider or some sort of like four way axis uh, spectrum kind of thing or something like that. Maybe you could put them on, but like, uh, yeah, I think we classify them differently. But realistically, a a sci fi setting which is science fiction, mm-hmm. where you kind of push the boundaries and you add in force fields and laser guns and stuff like that, stuff that maybe it's possible. We don't know because we haven't successfully made proper holograms or force fields or anything like that yet. But as it is based on the now in our current time, um, that is a fantasy. It's a fantasy to have a laser gun. Like uh, It's a fantasy to have a lightsaber. It's a fantasy to have a force field that surrounds you. Um, so I think that... Yeah, I, th- I think I think that um, the degree in which you push uh, the boundaries of science with sound- science fiction can absolutely make it a subgenre of fantasy. Although, again, I know people typically classify them as two, almost two polar opposites, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah, Pers- yeah, no, I, I I would agree with a lot of what you said there. And like personally speaking, I very much fall into the same camp as a, a booktuber I watch is very good, Daniel Green. And I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he he calls it sci science fan, science fantasy, I believe, or or like yeah. sci, I think something like that. I he always just kind of references, but he yeah he, he considers it basically yeah it absolutely is just another branch of fantasy and like yeah I would very much look at it in a similar way in that I would say you know all sci fi is fantasy, but not all fantasy is sci fi. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and I think you if you look at certain things as well, like. Uh, there's this idea that um, again, like that, that they're polar opposites, that they're two separate things entirely. Um, but I mean, you you can look at stuff even like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm pretty sure there's a point in the first Thor movie. I think where exactly what you're about to say. Go ahead. And yeah, yeah I, 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 I can't quote a word for word, but uh, Thor talks about they talk about the Bifrost and talking about all the kind of the, the quote unquote magic that they have. Yeah. Uh, and I think Jane says something to him about that. He's like, well, it's not magic, magic. I mean, uh, it's it's just very advanced technology. You, you might perceive it as magic because you can't make sense of it yourself, you know, but yeah. it is not like if I went back in time now to the 1400s and I went, look, here's a smartphone. I'm going to record you talking and I'm going to play it back for you. 
they'd burn me as a witch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Here's no, you could literally just go back and go, see this? Look, click, light, burn it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, exactly. You don't even need to show them like video recording or yeah, anything like that. Like, could, just even even if you had a phone that just lit off, if you just uh, like no, took I, your lock screen. I, I meant right? a torch. I meant you could bring a battery powered torch back with you and get burned alive. Oh, yeah. For that. yeah. Like, no, absolutely. Like so, like I think. Um, if you if you go far enough into the future um, or or back into the past comparatively, uh, yeah, I mean like uh, any any science, even if it can be if it can be rationally explained as a science, and there's reason to why this thing functions this way, uh, in the eyes of someone who can't possibly grasp that, it's it's definitely um, it's more it's more fantasy than it's more magic. So yeah, totally. There's. There's a quote I was thinking of, and I I can't remember where it's from or who said it. So if someone is listening to this and they know, please do inform me and remind me. But the quote is that any sufficiently advanced science is almost indistinguishable from magic. Uh yes, that sounds very familiar. But yeah, I think you're that. That's exactly it. I mean, like if you're if it's far enough ahead, or or again, well, sorry, I think I have the. Uh, yeah. Which is the really, Thor one here. Which is really fun, actually, because it's something I... Because um, we've been talking about I recently started reading The Wheel of Time after watching the show. Um, by the way, I started, mm. started the second book yesterday. Um, nice. But uh, there... I So I've not read a whole bunch ahead or into the lore stuff, but I've just heard, apparently, there are theories that The Wheel of Time takes place in a far, far-flung Earth um, based on the ruins of old civilizations that pop up in, in the show. And that all of the magic is in fact like really, really highly advanced like biotech. And that's why certain people can do magic and certain people can't because they have like stuff in them that they are unaware of because it's like a kind of genetic biotech that's passed down. Now, I, I don't know all of it. That's just the general theory. Yeah. I really like that. I really, really yeah. like that. It's is really that, cool. I, thought that, I thought that was official canon. Is it not, um, is it not an idea that, what was it? I, I was watching a thing about it the other day and... The, the Wheel of Time, is, does it have six or seven spokes? I think it has seven spokes, right? Oh, On the wheel. God, do you know what? I'm honestly not sure. I think so. A lot of the time they just refer to it as the wheel. <laughs> like, it's a spinning wheel. Yeah, it weaves, yeah. the, it weaves the threads of fate. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But, like, it has, it, it supposedly has, like, either six or seven spokes. Again, I haven't read the stuff, but I, I have a very brief idea. And each spoke is a different age. And supposedly, and, and, and time is, like, cyclical, it so is, things yeah, will yeah. come back around. Um, and... Uh, everything that has happened in human civilization thus far is still just the first spoke. So to, just to give an idea how far ahead that this Wheel of Time series supposedly takes place, that it's, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, it, it, it's an Earth that that's, that's that far gone. Um, yeah, so that everything that has happened so far is supposedly meant to be uh, just uh, just the first spoke. Um, sorry, I, I actually pulled up a Thor, a Thor quote here. Oh, please, uh, so it's Thor saying, your ancestors called it magic, but you call it science. I come from a land where they are one and the same. Ah, so, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's a really dope quote. And I like, I, I like that approach with D&D as well. And I think there's a lot of room in D&D to just go straight sci-fi with it. Because, again, oh, yeah. it is just another branch of fantasy. It's like, Absolutely. It, it's like using Oni and using, like, Frost Giants. They're all fantasy. One's Japanese, one is Nordic. They all just together in defense yeah and like uh, when it comes to like a lot of sci-fi stuff in in D, &D well i mean like I, I feel like the distinction between sci-fi and 
particularly with D&D because D&D is very fast and loose with stuff like that yes um uh, depending of course how you run your game some people might run their games as really hardcore um gritty medieval stuff where like they're you're you're being historically accurate to like you know that dark ages and stuff like this and mm -hmm. people most people can't read and all this other stuff you know um but uh the the distinction between like if you have a wand that can shoot fireballs uh at people you know at 120 feet and do a d10 fire damage versus a quote-unquote plasma pistol that can shoot a fireball 120 feet and a d10 damage is there really that much of a difference like it, it, it's the difference between like um arranging circuitry in a little metal or case or whatever to fire a firebolt or uh weaving like compact complex spell components to enchant a stick to do the same they they accomplish the same task and i feel there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential overlap if you break it down to its base components yeah totally absolutely and like i know some people like i i kind of like a part of the inspiration for this was that i have actually just as i was saying kind of before we started recording um in my most recent session i wanted to give my guys more of like a lore and exploration kind of like mini arc within the arc so like maybe one to two three sessions at most um of just kind of a little flavor of like exploration and look more learn more lore and just kind of feel more steeped in the actual arc and i wasn't sure exactly how i wanted to do that um and so i was kind of humming and hawing and i was like what if i give the main bad guy like another lackey like a mini boss and i was like well what could that mini boss be and then i was trying to think of names um and when will this go out yeah we're good <laughs> yeah we're good we're good <laughs> yeah I, I was yeah so the mini because it'll probably be next session they'll encounter they'll get some info on him but the mini boss i was like trying to come up with a name and i was like a good name for like a giant mini boss and i was like oh mimir and then i was like oh mimir the man who knows everything in the world from uh norse mythology so yeah oh he, that'd be a really good name for like an evil giant scientist slash shaman yeah definitely um so yeah i'm basically taking a hardcore bend into like doom style sci-fi in my um in my the middle of my like uh frost giant like floating sky island city arc um, yeah at the moment and like i'm really really excited by it like i'm because like even like doom like doom i think in particular works particularly well for like inspiration for D, &D sci-fi because it's sci-fi but it's all it's all fucking demons. <laughs> yes, I was checking the time. <laughs> I, I noticed. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's literally like all demons. And even like the Doom guy, you're this like huge hulking right out monster inside power armor with like a laser sword and chainsaw and a wrist blade yeah. that shoots up out of your foot. But like, you go through it. And as you go through, particularly in the first game, you because I haven't actually played the second one for shame. Uh, but through the first game, you intermittently throughout this the thing you will see these like demonic little stones that you can touch and they're sort of like the um can't remember the name of them in skyrim but they were those like places of power where you could go and just like touch a stone and get some i get a power up it's it's really it's really funny that you were um <laughs> that you that you didn't know the exact name but you called them a place of power because there's like literally almost a one-for-one -one replica uh in the witcher 3 and they're called Places of Power in The Witcher 3. I must um, be really, I'm just, just such a good DM. <laughs> they're, 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 they're standing stones that are like maybe six or seven feet tall. And then they just have a hole punched through the top of them. Oh, that's weird. That's and what they, I saw in my head when I was saying it. And I haven't played a whole bunch of The Witcher 3. So, Well, no, that's because it's the same thing in both The Witcher oh, and okay. in Skyrim. Uh, in Skyrim, I can't, I can't remember what they're called. They're called... Um, 
Uh, they're the ones you, that has like the thief, the serpent, the tower, all the different uh, constellations on it, and you get bonuses from them. Yeah. And and in The Witcher, you get a, a skill point if you go up to it. Um, yeah. And then a, a temporary bonus for like the next day or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just funny that you actually called it the exact thing it was in a different game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. That's gas. But um, anyway, the reason I bring it up is because you go through and you see things like these, and you can touch them, and you get a little bit of lore about what's going on and Joe kind of thing. And what they what they are are they are like the recorded. I think they're either like essentially like a demonic holy book, with like, and I think okay. it's it's like the book of the Doomslayer or something, and it's the story of how you became the Doomslayer. And the first one you touch goes into this like real slow but awesome like growls narration about how like the like demons were like they only fear one person the doomslayer boiled in blood he traverses the shadowy plains of hell making demons scream and fear and flee and like as you go along you pick it up and like doom is so hardcore sci-fi but that is so fantasy and so like a cult yeah DD. I, like it's such a good mix like it's so so good that'd be a really cool take actually if you were to do like a, a very uh, hells slash abyss um, heavy campaign and just make them all hardcore doom uh, mm. demons because like there's a, there's a cool thing when they did a descent into avernus they re-released a lot of miniatures but they made them um legion the legion ver- variants mm. um so you had like things like um uh, chain devils uh bone devils uh, ice devils stuff like that but yeah, instead of having had, just like gnolls uh, as well wasn't it it was like gnolls of yangu or something uh, no, they were the ones that were invading Avernus. Avernus is, yes, is the sir, top yes. level of, uh, yeah. or Avernus, whichever one you want to call it, uh, is the top level of, of the Hells. And it because it's basically the front door you need to get through to get to the lower level. And that's where the demons from the Abyss are always trying to invade in the Eternal Blood War struggle. Um, and so the, 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 the Yagnu Gnolls are there invading and, and fighting and stuff. But then all the demons are called like Legion Bearded Devil and Legion Bone Devil, and they have uh, they all have these like that cover their eyes entirely, but they can still see. Um, and they have like armor plates and stuff like that to distinguish them from normal ones. These guys are specifically part of the Legion that is defending Avernus from the the onslaught of uh, of de- of demons. I really need um, to reread Avernus. I- it's a very cool book. It is, but you could totally do something like that um, with all the heavy sci-fi demon stuff that you have. Like what? What? Like instead of just saying they have different armor, why not absolutely be like, oh yeah, these demons, uh, and in keeping with sci-fi, uh, why not say like these demons uh, that are come or these devils, I should say, uh, are invading your own material plane, and instead of carrying crossbows or bows or anything like that, there, if you go to like, um, there's like the, uh, the antimatter rifle and stuff like that. Yeah, from the, uh, from chapter nine of the uh, Dungeon Master's there's workshop. Also, there's also the it's it's more insane, bigger brother from uh, Fizzbands, which is the uh, it's this it's like it's a it's a gun with a dragon scale in it. It's called the something. It's destroyer. a yellow dragon scale specifically. I, I can't remember what it's called. Is it? It's like the Amethyst Destroyer or something like that. Or the, 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 I'm, gonna, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it. I got it. It's, it's it the it's the Topaz Annihilator. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and it does um, crazy damage. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it does crazy damage and it lets you cast this integrate like once a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why not have all of these things coming through and they're using antimatter rifles, they're using laser rifles uh, instead, and then they're just blasting you with energy rays, and, and that would make perfect sense because again, D and D can be very, it's very fast and uh, fast and loose with uh, what is fantasy and what is sci-fi, yeah. um, and you could absolutely because they're technically from an entirely separate world and they can open portals onto your plane. Why not have um, these guys come through with 
with uh, these advanced demonic laser rifles Ooh. that have like skulls for faces and they just shoot lasers out of their mouths or something yeah. like that. Have you? Oh, sorry, just thought something. Have you watched Invincible on Prime? I was literally just thinking about it. Yeah, the guys that come through the portals. Yeah, the, the uh, Slarkins. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, like yeah. that would be a really cool setup for like demonic invasions, where yeah. the, the first portal opens and they just send through like. I don't know, like mains or something, or like just like really low tier. Yeah, like, yeah. And that's purely for like a reconnaissance mission to scout the power level of the people mm-hmm. they're attacking. And then the next one opens, and they send in like chain levels. And then the next one opens, and it's a pit fiend. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that would be so fun. Oh, I might have to write that down after the podcast for po- a possible campaign <laughs> too. Oh God, I yeah. yeah. But that was. I think it'd be seriously, seriously cool. And like again, there. D&D has so much of this, I feel like, again, because of the line between fantasy, when you really think about it, the line between fantasy and sci-fi is is very blurred. It doesn't <laughs> have to be such a stark one, a black and white difference. Yeah. The line isn't and a line, even... it's a circle. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, for, like Mind Flayers, for example. Mind Flayers are so quintessentially D&D. They're one of the most core monsters, in my opinion. I feel like Beholders, Mind Flayers, Dragons. Giants. Giants probably form this little... This little um, I was going to say a triangle, it's more of a square now, um, of mon- of core monsters, I feel, um, that come up in D&D. Hunting giants goes back to, like, fairy tales, like Jack and the Beanstalk. Dragons that are pretty much existent in every single culture yeah. around the world. Go and have a look at our dragons video for that. Um, and then, like, you have, like, my, what's it? Uh, you've them. What's it? Giants, my players. Oh, Beholders are, like, one of the core D&D monsters that are were made for D&D, but like, they're, they're so center they're on the cover and then my mind flares are your uh far realm Eld- eldritch horror yeah. uh kind of thing and i feel like that's such a, a an important cornerstone but mind flares to me are always like they're aliens they're straight up aliens that will abduct you in D. yeah and that's um, i'm really glad you brought that up because that was something i wanted to get to later and it's probably a good time to maybe talk about it now is the far realm because like I was just going to say, Joe, does one, I was going to ask you the question, does, it was going to be a little bit of a bait question, to be honest. It was going to be like, does, does is there a place for sci fi in D&D? And if you said no, I would ask what your opinion of the Far Realm is, which is canon in D&D. And that's yeah. basically space. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the realm beyond realms. It's, it's, um, yeah, I, it's, it's very much a kind of like, it is, it is space. There's like energy and rocks and, and gaseous, uh, sword uh nebulas and stuff floating around um and it's all just chaos and, and utter madness and in the the weirdest most bizarre creatures come from it again aliens yeah um yeah, are so easy to turn into aliens it's not even fun oh like, yeah it, yeah exactly i mean like it all you need to do really like you don't, you don't have to do anything like look at uh just okay take for example Baldur's gate 3 right and mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of mind player stuff going yes. on in the in the first part of that uh, actually, no, sorry, the whole game, because the whole game is about you being affected yeah, by one of the tadpoles. Yeah, it's about you trying to get the tadpole out, yeah. And even even that is so indicative of, uh, of like, Alien, which we talked about earlier in the episode. Hey, full circle, Yay. full circle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's so indicative of, like, Alien, which is one of the most, you know, popular, most popular sci-fi horror movies of all time. Um, 100%. Where you're, you're infected with this thing, and you only have so long before you will turn, or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, or the, it'll burst out of you. There's some, yeah, there's some great opportunities for like body horror in um, sci-fi as well. Mm. Um, and like, obviously, make sure that like, because some people really are not good with body horror. So I would say if mm-hmm. you're going to do that, make sure maybe like during a session zero, you would found that out if they're comfortable with that kind of stuff. But there is a great opportunity to le- like 
Oh my god, the um, Ashley Johnson's one shot, the uh, the Nautilus art. Uh, yeah, that was really really cool. Oh, that may be like my favorite critical role one shot, at a point like period like it's so she's such a good DM and the way she like um DM'd like the ship the mother, all the way through, so good and like just as well that's perfectly what I meant as well it's like that whole thing, is it's it's alien, as a D and D one shot that's exactly what it is and even the creatures are very similar to like the alien particularly from like the later alien films like that strong like alien covenant vibes from the bits where like the creature would like scratch them and like black goo would like crawl across their skin and up their yeah. nose or in their ears like if you talk if you go turn to a player and you go make a con save and they fail the con save and you are like and you go it reaches its finger out to you and touches you on the face and part of its skin sloughs off and you can feel legs grow from it and begin to crawl across the surface of your own skin towards your ear as you're frozen in terror. You feel it crawl up the side of your jaw, around your ear and into the hollow there. And you can feel it push its way through until suddenly it just disappears and you don't know where it is anymore. Like, oh my God, if that happened now to I'm me, I would have, oh God, like skin crawly. <laughs> like that's like, there's just so many great opportunities for that in there. Um, but yeah, the Fire Realm and uh, the Fire Realm and Mind Flayers and all that. I think like that being there, like it's basically wizards going. Yeah, just doing, if you want to, if you want to turn this into like Star Wars and Alien combined, go by all means, go nuts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can't remember exactly when it was, but one of the early AD and D adventures or expansions was that you are strolling along with your adventuring party in the first, uh, and literally. Uh, this big metal object falls out of the sky, and you, as a as a you know a medieval uh, knight or wizard, don't really know what it is. But you, as a person who's playing the game, is like, "That's a that's a <laughs> spaceship," um, and you know you know what it is. You're like, that's a spaceship. It it, it has big engines, smoking engines at the back of it, and got it goes opens, and this little ramp appears, and you walk inside, and the inside's all smooth and clear, and this little bleeping blooping lights and everything like it's an it's a spaceship um close encounters of the third edition kind there you go <laughs> uh there's uh yeah mind players i think are so and uh, if you if you look at Baldur's gate 3 and you watch that opening intro which by the way is just so so oh, cool so looking but like that that is literally about an alien abduction you know um that they, 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 they they you, you basically get probed yeah <laughs> You do because what happens in that in that whole trailer is that you watch the the mind flare hovers in the laboratory chamber thing, and then he I I love I love 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 how when he wants to control the nautiloid, it's not buttons or anything like that. He grabs two tentacles, he kind of touches them together like yes. Avatar style, and they like they they interlope, and then he pulls them like a, like a like a string on an yes. instrument. It goes bump, and then that's how he activates it. It's so cool. But that happens, he appears, or rather, they appear above a city, I think it's Baldur's Gate, and immediately these tentacles go down, and they start snapping people up, and these people start appearing in the ship in pods, like aliens that have abducted yeah. people would. It's very and War of the Worlds, actually, the remake one, where they're like, all the aliens are yeah. tuned, there's all these tendrils are coming down and grabbing people. All the, the tripods. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is absolutely, and like when we, I ran, um, I ran Mind Flayers in our first campaign through a fairly, fairly long arc in the middle of our campaign. I did actually want to talk to you about that because I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, you, uh, feel free to check out episode two of our podcast, um, where we talk about this story in far more detail. Um, but I basically had it that they were appearing in the dark, um, 
not always though uh but i had these mind flares they had a crashed it was especially like it was essentially a crashed um like mind flare assault carrier or cruiser or whatever dreadnought whatever, whatever you want to call it um in the underdark uh, and they had little scout ships that I based off of the puddle jumpers from Stargate Atlantis, and I based all of their technology off of the Wraith from Stargate Atlantis, where it's all like it's all like bioorganic uh, or biotechnological stuff. So it's all the insides of their ship are partially metallic, but also partially fleshy and soft. And when you want to interact with one of their consoles, you literally stick your hand into this like soft membrane, and it so links gross. your neural system with the neural system of the ship. Um, and yeah, we had some great stuff there because you guys were able to like, you could just think, I want to know this this answer to this question, and then the ship would be like, this is the answer. But I was specifically in that in that arc, I like I I knew that the elder brain of this colony was the ship's central computer, um, and I and like every time you pose a question, this uh, elder brain is like, this is the answer to the question, and I was being very careful with what you were asking. Uh, because I was waiting for you guys to be like ask something that like no mind flare on the ship would need to ask like like where is the where is the bridge? If you would ask something like that, it would have been like well the the mind the elder brain would have been like wait a second, everyone on this ship knows where the where the bridge is. Why would you ask a question like that? Mm. Um, and that did happen. I, at, a, at a couple of points, you guys started poking around and asking too many questions, and the elder brain was like, who's asking these questions? And kind of like they get fed into your network and try to overcome you. And I think it made, um, I think it made Shamash like catatonic for a short while because it realized, Hey, you're not meant to be in here. And then it kind of gave him this system shock where his whole, he got stunned for an, an extended period. I think it was, an um, hour. it was like an hour. So you guys have to carry him off the ship. Yeah. And retreat for a little bit. And he was like, it's because the elder brain realized, and also the elder brain then all gathered information from mm. him because their their neural networks, their brains were linked. So it was like, oh, we're on the same network. You might be getting information from me, but at the same time, I'm getting information from you. Should have used a um, VPN. It should have used a <laughs> VPN. And now a word from our sponsor. No. Um, hey, I use Nord. <laughs> if they want to sponsor us, I will not object. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, so like I think I I played that super super. Uh, sci-fi stuff. I even had the, their big, their big ships and their small ships were able to even like, uh, like you go did, through. You did, actually, back to you did facehuggers. You did facehuggers in that arc. Uh, I did. I kind of did. Yeah, yeah. I did. Um, uh, what I did was I kind of caught. I can't remember what else there were. It was a combination of facehuggers and something else. I they think were, it might have been like resistance. The video games. Yeah, uh, they were like mechanic. Like in my head, I like I, I the what I, the memory I have that they were kind of like almost like mechanical and. Um, like mechanical like grasshoppers or like some like mechanical insects and then they I would... think I call them scarabs. Yes. Sorry, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what what would happen is when they so the big reason that they were trying to find they were trying to find the drow city down here. And the drow city is hidden uh, and it's specifically very careful about being hidden because they know there's mind flares and if they if their ship the ship's able to basically jump through warp space or or subspace or whatever I call it and it can basically teleport from place to place um and uh, when they eventually found it, the ship just appeared, just went and appeared um, above the Drow City in the cavern that it was in. And the first thing they did is they launched these swarms of scarabs um, that would go down, and they would basically fly up to people and attach themselves to the people's face, and then it would like incapacitate them. Um, and they're they're kept alive, they're breathing, they're they're healthy, but they're purposely being incapacitated so that they can be hoisted and gathered up and then used. 
food or whatever for the mind slayers um and yeah so I, they, they they were kind of face huggery kind of um i think I, I think there's a i'm almost certain there are swarms and they might be called scarabs in resistance the first game and it's how the main character gets infected right. um and they basically just swarms of insects that fly around and they'll fly into the people and then they'll nest inside of you and you will turn into a chimera eventually uh but in this case they're just they're just for incapacitating you so that you can uh, so that the mind players can then come by, pick you up, and bring you back to the ship. I'm trying to decide what's worse between what you've just described and the face hugger. Because with the face hugger, it like clamps onto your face and forces a fleshy tube down your throat and spits an egg out into your belly. With that thing, yep. a literal insect forces its way into your mouth and down your mouth with all its sharp, pointy pieces. Like, yeah. they're both absolutely horrendous. But I, do you know what? I think I may take the face hugger over that. <laughs> The facehugger is less pointy. Yeah, literally only for that. Then it gets yeah. very, then it gets very fucking pointy on the way out. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, uh, so I, I went, I went very heavy sci-fi on that arc. Um, there was a uh, an elder brain was a, a central computer for the ship. Um, you guys were able to interact with their technology either by using uh, fleshy membrane consoles. Or by sitting into chairs that would similar again, Starfleet Atlantis, mm -hmm. um, sitting into chairs that would link your neural network with whatever you're trying to operate. So like you would try to fly the, the little uh, shuttles, little mind flare shuttles that they had, um, and in doing that, you basically became the shuttle. Like I always described to Mike as Shamash that when he sits into the chair and you know links with the ship, you no longer see out of your own eyes. You just see and feel as if you were the ship. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, I went heavy sci-fi on that. And I really, it was one of my favorite arcs from, from our first campaign. But like, uh, it, it's obviously drastically different from everything else we did in that campaign, which is either which was heavily fantasy in, in the traditional sense, based yeah. you know medieval uh, kind of stuff. I remember the ending of that arc being like incredibly Doctor Who. Like everything looked incredibly dire, and then just like literally from Shamas's just sheer intelligence, he was able mm -hmm. to like just completely shut down all the mind flares and their plan and it was uh it was just so doctor who i loved it i absolutely loved it and like oh god just as well i think when you do certain sci-fi things you can give characters and players opportunities within that that they wouldn't necessarily have maybe in a more traditional fantasy thing mm -hmm. um like if you do have someone like because i was thinking about it there um a lot of people get weird about guns in D D. yeah um, and I think that's kind of a similar issue that people have with sci-fi in D and D, in that some certain people's view of like D and D is that it should be very very like uh, swords and swords and sorcery or like very just very much like that medieval European fantasy, and like yeah, it this also feeds it. It's also a similar reason why people have issues with the monk, which I get even less. Like, uh, but yeah. I just Wait, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by issues with the monk? I'm getting, I'm getting defensive here. What's happening there, with the monk? There are people out there who have issues with, with the monk class being in D and D. They say it does not fit. Oh, because it's like not European. It's it's more of an Eastern um, kind of. It's it's a it's like more like a a, a martial artist from uh, from like China or something like that, like a like a Shaolin monk. Then it is a European monk in brown robes yeah. who's flaying themselves. It's basically people just don't think it fits in because it's Asian. That's basically it, really. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, 
And I would say, uh, here's my own hot take response to that. Fuck off. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I was, I was gonna be like, fuck you. I have the power of God and anime on my side. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen that video? Please tell me you've seen that video. <laughs> Otherwise, that reference makes me look like an absolute. What? What? I, this, it sounds familiar. What video is this? It's this video of like, there's this like little kid in a school, and I think he's being like bullied or something, or someone slags him, and they're filming it. And he likes either squares up or pulls out like a foam sword and goes like, "I will defeat you because I have the power of God and anime on my side." <laughs> There's, I, 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 sound, I think I've seen it. There's another one I went, my mind went to when you mentioned anime, and which is it's a college humor one, and it's a couple, it's an animated thing, and there's a couple, and they're just, they're just like, um, they're like, what, "What should we watch today? Maybe we should try anime. You know, what, what's a good anime to watch?" And some guy with a ponytail and like kind of stubble and stuff, uh, kind of comes out, and he's, he's got like a waifu t-shirt on, and, and he's like, he comes out of nowhere, and he's all like, "You guys are, you guys are such anime noobs. You don't know uh, what anime is." And they're all like, "Well, can you tell us some good anime to watch?" He's like, "I will, but first I'll tell you about my story." And then, uh, <laughs> and then he he gives them his backstory. And the opening line is, "You see, I didn't have any parents. Well, I did, but they didn't get me." <laughs> and it's it cracks me up every time because he's trying to be angsty. And he's trying to be that angsty uh, uh, Sasuke style character uh, when he's like, "I didn't have any parents. Well, I did, but they just didn't get me." <laughs> Uh, and he, he, he tells how his an anime was his life and it's a thing that gave him hope and power. Uh, and then some other guy comes in who looks a lot like Rob Lee and they just argue about what animes are good and which ones are not. Um, and at one point, what, at one point, one of them gets, gets a good, like, a good counterpoint on the other guy when they're arguing. And, uh, like, three versions, or three anime girls, like Misty is one of them from Pokemon and two others, I can't remember who the other two are. Uh, come in and they're like doing that thing where they stand with one leg kind of bent up in the air and stuff and their eyes are hearts and he's like thank you my waifus <laughs> it's on, I'll, I'll send you this later it's one of the funniest every time it comes up I, I mean multiple times I send it to Tara because Tara is obviously more of an anime person than I am yeah. and I send it to her every time uh, and the final line in it is um, at one point the, the couple are like they're like Oh, maybe we could watch Avatar The Last Airbender. That looks really good. And both guys go mental and they're like, it's made in America. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That same kind of attitude where people are like, oh, it could be anime. It's made in America. It's, it's more of the aesthetic and the style, really. Uh, True. Is... Also, it was actually it was actually animated in Korea. Yes. Unreal. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's that's the same kind of thinking with people being like, you can't have guns in D&D. You can't do sci-fi in D&D. The monk shouldn't be in D&D. Like, no, your your I would say your view of what constitutes fantasy is too narrow. Like it's yeah. it's D and D. The point of D and D is you have an entire world that you can create on your own, and you could pull from anything and everything to make it as cool and customized and exactly what you want out of a world to tell your story in. And I think if you just instantly go, right, this can't be in D and D. This can't be in D and D. Monks, maybe. I'm like, did you just wait like? That's like you go to a restaurant and they give you a steak and like all the greens and all the sides and stuff and you're like, ah, well, mm, you know, this kind of vegetable, this isn't really suited and they're gone, gone, and then you're just left with like two sticks of celery when you had like a full steak there. Like, yeah. Why did you or, do this or, yourself? Or the worst, there's people that go one step further because I came across this today on Twitter. Um, I, was I can't remember what the, what the question was. It was some question someone posed and I was going through the comments and seeing people's answers below. And one person was like, um, 
was like, this is exactly why 5th edition isn't for me. And they cited some rule. And then someone responded and like, well, you know, if you don't like that rule, you can change it. That's kind of the, yeah. the beauty of D&D &D and stuff. And then someone else got really defensive and they were just like, they, what, what was they said? They said, oh, or you could just find like the, the, the game that suits you. And I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's Pathfinder, there's, there's uh, Starfinder, there's, uh, there's Edge of the Empire Star Wars game, whatever, if you want to go more sci-fi. I think there's uh, another well, one me... called like Stars Beyond Number or something like that as well. That sounds familiar. Um, but yeah, like they were just like offering, uh, you can absolutely go and you can get a different game if you want, but we talk about D&D &D on the channel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but like, you can also just, you can tweak things if you don't like it. And to go, don't get me wrong, uh, it's okay to tweak certain things or to say, hey, I don't like this little, like, I don't like flanking, so we won't use flanking. Or um, I think that this particular um, subclass feature shouldn't work this way, blah, blah, blah. That's okay to tweak certain things like that. You know, discuss it with, between the DM and player, discuss what works for both of you. Um, but if you're a DM who's like got an exceptionally narrow idea, because like I've seen people pitch their worlds, their D&D &D worlds, and they have a very specific idea of fantasy they want to do. And D and D doesn't always gel with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and what they end up doing is they go right. Um, I think you've brought this up before about people who like had no spellcasters in their D and D no, world because they wanted was, like an. That was the thing we were talking about yesterday. Last uh, sorry, our last episode, and that was the opposite. Or is that guy on Reddit who got tore apart because he was like, mm, "There's no um, fighting men in my world. No one, no one trains." Oh yes, that was it. <laughs> yeah, no one uses weapons because magic is so prevalent yeah. like why would you bother and it's like because sometimes magic because because anti-magic field is a thing yeah and sometimes it's okay to just stab one someone in yeah. D, &D. still one uh, of my favorite top comments on a reddit i've ever seen what do you call people who pick up a stick and hit the nerds in your world <laughs> <laughs> but like i i think uh, like okay at that point if you're looking at the game and you're like oh there's no magic in this world so it's all just fighters and barbarians and rogues and whatever at that point yeah, you should probably just pick and find a different game yeah. that suits you better. But um, I think the it can be it, I don't know. For me, I, I try to make D and D as accommodating as possible, and I'm okay with like I I will make something fit. If you go, hey, I found this this uh, on Earth Arcana, or I found this other thing. Can I play this in the world? I'll have to do a review of it and I'll, myself and just check and see is it balanced or whatever. But for the most part, I'm happy to make anything fit into the world if someone if, if one of you came to me and was like hey for my next um i want to play a warforged but he's from outer space and he crashed he literally falls out of the out of the sky Ooh. master chief style and crashes into the earth uh, or like uh, like the iron giant and he wakes up and he's just like he's like i do not know my programming and he's he speaks like a robot and he does all the classic sci-fi tropes I would be like, yes, let's let's make this happen. That's definitely like I would make it fit. Uh, so I think it's important to be accommodating. Oh, do you know to and, and have a flexible a flexible idea of what if you're if you're so if you're too specific, like I don't know. Uh, I I tried to run a campaign uh, simultaneously with our first campaign for um, my soon to be brother in law and a couple of friends, and we actually had a lot of fun and it was great. But the problem was. They found themselves in, uh, what was it? They found themselves in a kingdom where, like, magic users had been, like, your arcane magic users had made illegal mm -hmm. uh, because there was uh, clerics and paladins, but the arcane magic users were seen as heretics who were, like, you know, uh, doing all this stuff. And the new king was like, we'll round up all these mages and we'll get rid of them um, because we're a holy, pure, pious country and all this stuff. Um, and the first arc had them. Um, 
escorting a, a girl who could you imagine you imagine she was like a sorcerer uh, it had them escorting her out of the kingdom and just getting her to the border essentially um and that was cool but also i didn't realize until we kind of got into the thick of it that makes it makes it very difficult just to play D D if you're like anything magical is illegal in this country don't get me wrong the concept is cool and i still like the idea of be religious fanatics that are like oh no only the magic but it actually became a real a real thing because one of the guys wanted to play an air ganassi and i'm like and then he's like oh i'm like an inherently magical race i mean my hair floats around area and stuff i'm obviously and i can cast spells naturally so am i going to be arrested uh and i i i had to kind of bend the rules a little bit and stuff to be like uh no as long as you don't cast spells people will, won't you know arrest you yeah um but realistically like if, they if, there are, if there, <laughs> yeah, it probably would yeah so like it if you're it's this is a bit off topic for sci-fi but i'm just saying i'm just saying don't be too restrictive in the idea of your world try to make things accommodate your players more so um because at the end of the day you're trying to run a game yeah. for them you know and I um what you said about like uh, just trying to be accommodating in general that's just a good tip because like your player yep. as a dm you build you build your world right you build you build your world you lay it all, all out really really nicely and this goes here and this goes here and this goes here and this goes here and then you get four to six people to come along and they kick all the blocks over and go this looks sick man i really like it can we have like a ninja dragon clan and i'm like yeah well, and I was, like, well, my my Nord- was like, uh, uh, this was a European inspired thing. <laughs> I was going to be like, yeah, my uh, my Nordic survival themed fantasy is a bit in shambles now, but yeah, okay. <laughs> there, there is nothing wrong with yeah. the concept of Viking monks, okay? Oh, but like, there's like, like to to go at the Viking thing again, just again down the lines of being accepted. If someone wanted to do that, I'd be like, you know what, you absolutely can, because the Vikings made it to Russia, and if they can do that. You and America can, yeah and America and Ireland and yeah a lot of places but like yeah and if they can do that in the real world where there's no magic and they just have to row and walk uh, where there is magic and airships and shit like that yeah absolutely mm-hmm. you can be a dragon monk in my Scandinavian fucking fantasy <laughs> like, you know? yeah absolutely so yeah I mean like uh, yeah definitely I think um, also you give me a yeah. great idea for a sorcerer character with that like robot falling to earth thing okay Chaos, chaos magic sorcerer you play a warforged your component your uh, circuitry is damaged and uh, oh really good yeah so you're not you're not actually able to do like half the time you're not actually able to cast it to the thing you want because your circuits are damaged and maybe like yeah. eventually you find someone who could fix you and then you change your sorcerer arc subtype subclass to a different thing because now you have control over the magic you could maybe do a thing that's um like this where... would be like late game as well like it's a uh, you could also do a thing where, like, your memory core has been damaged, so that you can make it, you you could set a number. You could decide with your DM that set a number and be like, okay, I rolled a twelve, or okay, I rolled a ten on my intelligence, and I keep that. If at any point I can get enough ASIs to get to fifteen, I want to be Ooh. able to unlock my full memory core, like I've healed and I've remembered everything. That could be a cool, a really cool. That's a really, that's a, that's a really interesting goal. Because you're not trying to do it in a roleplay fashion in yeah. game. You're literally trying to earn levels to progress so that you can bump up your asis and stuff like that that yeah. could be super cool like if i'm if like if i was going straight by the books like medieval european fantasy to put it really really limited and someone came to me with that idea that's too good an idea and too good a too fun a concept for a character for me to be like eh, 
it doesn't really fit in my mind. I'm like, no, do you know what? There's a genius inventor no one ever know, knew about. And Tony Sark could build this in a cave. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just, I think be accommodating. It's nice to have a good, a good idea of what themes you want to uh, explore in a campaign as a dungeon. What kind of quests do you want to come up? What the setting is like? What the people are like? Definitely really important. But I also think that you need to be uh, like like at the moment, Mike is playing a, a turtle um, in my which what like the entire continent of Valtheron is essentially Europe. The further south is more med Mediterranean in nature. You're in the central part, which is like France. Yeah. You go north, you have like a Viking, um, like Kel like uh, Celtic Irish kind of thing yeah. going on. Um, that was my thought. <laughs> but, but even then like that that's the thing as well uh, and again we're getting off sci-fi but um like you you came to me at the start of this campaign and i i had a, a rough map drawn i'm like okay i think i want like three kingdoms in this section and maybe a couple others down here and i'll probably put like this island might be some sort of city unto itself and i had all these ideas but nothing really filled in and then you were like hey i'm gonna play my character logged and i played a few campaigns back but i was gonna play him differently in a different class and i'm like that sounds awesome um and then you were like, okay, look, so he's a, he's a Celtic warrior. He's covered in tattoos. Uh, this is like his people's culture. And they're like a warrior clan kind of thing. Uh, and he... and I was like, awesome. Okay, uh, I guess I'll just make this kingdom right here into like the Irish Celtic Viking yeah. thing. Um, and that's what we did. Um, and it, it works great because, uh, I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, does it make sense that there is a very, very Celtic Irish Viking uh kingdom right here and then as soon as you cross the river you're in like an 18th century france setting absolutely not but we don't care because it's fun <laughs> yeah it's fantasy people can choose different things. uh there is a there is a, a setting i wanted to talk about Ooh, um, oh i might know but go ahead uh so there's this oh sorry you know, when i say setting i mean it's not a D, &D setting oh. but i know the one you're i, I think another one you're in. we can talk um there is a game I played in my teen years, which was like had such interesting, unique world building, uh, the like of which I don't think I've really seen uh, yet in terms of originality. Um, so there is a, a series of R RTS games, um, mostly on PC, called Rise of Nations. Oh, uh, and they're I... based on like, real world stuff. Um, but they had, in the same way that um, Age of Empires had an Age of Mythology game, where they you got the the, the magic-y or fictional build version of the Hydra, game. build the Hydra. Hydra, <laughs> oh, they were so powerful, Hydra. Um, but in in the same way of that Rise of Nations had an offshoot game called Rise of Legends. Ooh. It was I I I picked this up on a whim. I was down on my summer holiday. Uh, I was in Kerry. My, myself, and my family were in Dingle, but we went to Tralee for a day. I came across a, uh, I want to say it was a game, actually, not even GameStop, a game store. Oh, that's going um, back. Yeah, and I walked in, and I went to the PC section, and I found this game, and they had all, it had all these cogs on the front of it, and all this, like, magical energy, and I looked at the back, and it was like, oh, there were things like genies and, and clockwork men and all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, this looks mental. Um, so I bought it. I couldn't play it for, like, another 10 days until I got home from my but as soon as I did, into the drive, installed that, let's go. And it was an amazing game. It's called Rise of Legends. You basically start off in this three uh, regions. You start off in a place, I forget the name of it is, but it's inhabited by a race of people that don't want it. They want to say they're called the, the Vinci. The, the, the Vinci or the Vici or something like that. I'll bring it up in a sec. Um, 
of legends uh and you start off there and they are like uh steampunk slash da vinci punk um italians essentially okay uh, um so everything everything they have clockwork soul or clockwork men which are like these uh like i don't know 18 foot tall clockwork soldiers that kind of hobble along and they have gears and cogs that are all visible and exposed and they have like uh, electricity weapons they have like musketeer uh like fusiliers with like plumage on their helmets and cogs and stuff on their armor and they have helicopters but they use the da vinci screw propeller oh that's uh, cool stuff. um and then they have a bunch of other stuff as well and you start off in there and you're chasing this guy called wait for it his title is the doge and this was before the meme this was way before so, the meme that's an italian word and it's actually doge is it doge yeah they call it doge in this so that's that's what i went by uh okay they're called the the yes let's, con let's continue to call it the doge because that's hilarious yes, the doge. <laughs> <laughs> um and you play a guy named uh named Giacomo. uh and basically you 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 go did i mispronounce that as well uh Giacomo, yeah Giacomo, that makes more sense. Uh, yeah, look, Sorry. I'm, I'm going by what the pronunciations yeah. were when I played the game. All yeah. the voice actors called them these things. Giacomo. Giacomo. Uh, uh, I swear to God, there was a guy in it. He's, he sounded like, I don't know, uh, what's the what's the actor's name? You know, the, do you ever see the... Your, your audio just cut there, sorry. Did you ever see The Princess Diaries? I Maybe... Man Hathaway, there's a bodyguard in it. He he might he might have even been the voice actor. I don't know, but it sounds like him. And he's uh, he he literally calls him Gaiacum. Yeah, he says it like that. It's terrible. Um, okay, so that's the first region. Okay? okay, it's heavily there's pipes and there's there's steam towers. There's uh, there's cannons that are like um, mounted on the back of of all these things. There's clockwork spiders as well. Um, there's loads of really really cool stuff in this, right? Um, and I you, you do spiders. You, Regular spiders don't skeeve me up, but for some reason, clockwork spiders really, oh, really? Bo really bother me. Yeah. Like, like the dwarven ones in Skyrim, were they? Uh, I don't know. It's just something about it being mechanical and that it can like climb up onto you and can, like and can move across all surfaces. And yeah, oh, yeah. it's it's so, it, like a like and so for some reason, regular spiders don't do that, but specifically like just mechanical spiders really freak me out. <laughs> so your your the first arc is you. Uh, uh, is you pursuing uh, in a in a vengeance arc? You're pursuing this guy called the the Doge of Venucci, mm. um, and you're pursuing him the whole way. And once you conquer all the territories in this section, you face him in the capital city, and then he flees to a different section, um, where it's a it's basically a a Middle Eastern like Arabic motif, uh, and it's inhabited by a race of people called the Alin. Um, and they basically have genies and giant scorpion mounts and their cities are like floating Ooh. like arabic palaces in the sands That's sick. and they and they have all these uh the the bad guys are made of dark glass which is made from the sand but you've glass spiders and glass warriors and all these things that you're fighting or fighting with um and they think that i'm looking here they have salamanders dragons giant scorpions um and they use like scimitars and things so it's very very uh middle eastern fantasy at that point mm. um and then wait for this one. Uh, you get to the third region, which is like an Amazon jungle style thing. Uh, the civilization that are here are called the Quattle. And oh, they, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And they, they basically, everything about them is very heavily as. 
Um, it's Mesoamerican, but it's more leaning in the Aztec direction. Yeah. So they have pyramids made out of stone, um, and uh, and they have like statues of of jaguars and wolves and other stuff like that. And uh, but all but what actually happened, and it shows us in the open of the game, an alien spaceship crashed into this region, right? And then they built Aztec temples, which are basically highly, highly technological, futuristic temples. Like so much so that there will be a pyramid like that, right? Mm. Uh, and then there'll be an inverted pyramid above it that is floating and slowly rotating. That's and that's a, really a building. Cool. That's really cool. And, uh, and they have these things like they have like golems that are like, that have like, they're all made of stone, but then they'll have these blue or red lines running along them that are pulsing with energy. And there's one that's like it's like a unique um, unit that you can get, and it looks like a wolf, but it's the it's it's the it's a, a symbol of the moon god, and he looks like a wolf, and he has these two moons around him uh, off his shoulders, and if he points his wrist at someone, his wrist kind of like disassembles into these floating components that are not attached, and he fires moonbeams at you out of his wrist, um, and the whole the whole game is you going through these three arcs. It's one of the best RTSs I've ever played. It's so unique. It's so cool. Um, but yeah, and you get like, you get like, they have cloaking devices and they have, oh, they have like, they have airships. They have like fighter jets, but they're, they look like if the Aztecs designed fighter jets. Sick. Um, and they, they're, they're, shaped, they're shaped like crescent moons with tails coming off them and they can hover in place and they fire. So you go from like steampunk, Da Vinci punk style setting mm -hmm. into heavily magic style setting with uh with giant monsters and genies and all this other stuff and then you go into the third one which is like taking one of the, the world's oldest civilizations but just flipping it on its head and saying yeah but they got alien laser and and, and anti-gravity technology and cloaking devices uh and everything and, and that's the third arc um it's one of the best it's a really really cool setting it's absolutely bizarre but it's the kind of it, it's stuff like that that really inspires me to be a lot to want to put sci-fi in my D, D game yes and like i think as well just for a dm one of the best things you can do in my opinion anyway uh, as a dm is to read because you see how other people mm. how other people build their stories build their characters you'll, you'll give like you'll get a ton of inspiration for a lot of stuff um it's literally 50 percent of the reason why i started reading the wheel of time was because i wanted a bit more inspiration for my dming coming up and I liked how the show kind of laid things out. And I knew if I liked how the show laid things out, I would like how the book laid things out even more. So I had to pick that up. And like, yeah, like, I think like if, if you're not counting science fiction as fantasy and you don't want to associate it with d and I think there's just like world's worth of inspiration that you are just not opening yourself up to. And I think that's a yeah. serious, serious mistake. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a big fan of both sci-fi and fantasy. I oh, like... Like, I'm the horror guy, you're the sci-fi guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not, not going to tell people that they're wrong if they want to just run a a medieval European Dark Ages style thing. But you're wrong. But, <laughs> but like, if, if, if you're playing D&D, &D, I think just the very... I, I think you can do it. You can play a, like a Game of Thrones style setting mm. and people can have, like you could be a paladin and be like Baron or a cleric like Taurus of Mir or uh, Melisandre. Or Melisandre could even be like a sorceress if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, and you, or you could just be a regular no magic fighter like Jon Snow or Rob Stark or something like that. Um, 
or you could be like Arya and be a rogue. You know that there is places totally build that are low magic. They are by no means you're, you're never going to find a magic item shop in this world. You know you're never going to find um, someone who has an airship. But a world like Game of Thrones, which I think would probably inspire a lot of people because it's so popular, um, is totally pop is totally possible. And I think it's fine to do. If that's what you want to aim for, by all means, I think that's fine. I just think that if you're kind of going off of uh, a more in more in line with typical D and D setting, mm. where like the um, uh, like Faerun or something like that, um, like like the Sword Coast, um, I think be open to the idea of weird stuff, mm. uh, and I think you can it can it can really enhance your game as well to have players come to you and be like, I want to play this super, um, uh, and it's it's kind of sci-fi and it's kind of like futuristic. Uh, and maybe he comes from the future or something like that and whatever. You can spin some really interesting stuff into your world uh, based on what your players pitch to you for their own characters. You know? Hell yeah. And I think like as well, like Magic Punk is such just a fun aesthetic and kind of style and concept to play with. Um, yeah. And here's where I obligatory talk about Arcane for a few minutes. Uh, I'm sure like a lot of people have probably seen it. It's doing really, really, really well on Netflix now and they've already, they're already in production of a second season. Um, but Arcane, as well as just being a really, really amazingly built world, very much it's like it's sci-fi, but it's magic. And the the, the way they say mm. it in it, um, so the 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 magical technology that they use in the, in in the League of Legends world and in Arcane specifically is called hex tech, and it's basically these crystals that have magical energy in them, and by using them and certain setups in like literally like in certain um they use it with machines to replicate the magic of the yeah, like replicate the arcane is basically yeah. the point of it. it is magic powered by science is how one of the characters describes it and that's such a fun concept and because they discover this then they have stuff like they have like these giant hex gates where they can like you were saying earlier a ship can just come up to it it gets hit by a beam it disappears it pops out in the hex gate like like half the country away and just comes up yeah. there and then straight away they're using that for like uh for like transport of goods and war like uh, war and like profit and like like import export everything and has this massive yeah. massive impact and then but like all the way down as well there's all these other kind of lower tech like sci-fi or, or like or more kind of chempunk kind of aesthetics then as well yeah like people are using like alchemy and stuff to like power certain um certain objects and items and stuff it's all just it's very very well incorporated and i would say if you're looking to do probably a bit more traditional fantasy but have that element of like oh it's fantasy but it's actually maybe like fantasy powered by science like we were saying with the wheel of time where there's that theory that like the reason everybody can like uh, certain people can use magic and certain people can't is because they have like these biotech implants that they're unaware of um, if you wanted to do something like that with your D and D world, um, Arcane is a really good source of inspiration for that. I think. Uh, yeah, you, you, you actually, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm currently finishing up the yeah. US office. I'm still bad. Um, I, I've been badgering Connor about this for weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will. I will. And it's, it's the next thing on on my list to watch. Yeah. Um, but you told me it's very on par with what I'm building for Asteria. Yeah, it's very um, much of a similar vein. I would say it's definitely more magic. Like there's a, it's it's of a higher level of magic. Um, yeah, yeah, prevalence is what I would say in terms of like because like there's yeah because there's, there's magic everywhere in your world. But like say like in a normal city, 
there won't just be like loads of magical stuff kind of go floating about everywhere like this the buildings aren't going to be using some like weird power source or something whereas in mm. arcane like every aspect of daily life at one point integrates some aspect of technology um and that's powered by yeah. these hex tech crystals and i think i've seen stuff like that before i was gonna i was doing some research for um guns in my world and how to kind of tweak them so that the technology makes sense and stuff like that yeah. um i feel like i bring this up weekly at this point um <laughs> just every, it's a, every it's a week, last weekend every week gavin quits something you'll it'll be really like i'm thinking about yeah. guns again i just, I just nervous <laughs> more and more so guns now do a point of damage yeah. um but no um so and i came across this person who had i i guess i don't know about like they've been drawing their own world for like a novel they're writing or something right um but they had this art done out and it was like kind of they were rifles they were like breech load rifles but uh the bullets they were using were like uh they were like crystals they would load a crystal cartridge and instead of firing a solid projectile it, si it fires like energy out of it uh because these these crystal bullets just convert immediately into energy and fire out like a bolt so like a railgun almost almost like a railgun yeah but it, it comes out like a blaster fire star wars you know with a little bit of energy um and I was just thinking, yeah, it was just really, really cool. Um, and I think, like, I, I do think Arcane will be really cool for me, like that. I think it'll definitely inspire me to do some very new stuff. Rally. But I mean, like, like, like we said before, when it comes to the difference between sci-fi and fantasy, there really isn't one. And if someone says, "Hey, I want to use like a laser gun in this go in this game or or something like that," um, but you feel like you don't really want there to be like circuit boards and and energy cells and stuff like that, just be like, okay. Here's how it works. It, it, like, it's a magic item. It has X amount of shot today. Um, and, you know, it takes your action to use or whatever. But uh, just be like, it's it, make it like, oh, do you know what I have in my world, actually, which is kind of, it's inspired by sci-fi, but I just gave it a magical version, is um, I have the elves in my world, the fire elves specifically, use spears, which are regular spears, but they can they can blast fire like a, like a firebolt. And that's just a spear enchanted with firebolt. But that's uh, the inspiration for that was the Chafa staff weapons from Stargate, you know. Yeah. So like it's it's honestly the the difference between what is fantasy and what is sci-fi is so arbitrary sometimes um, that it doesn't really matter. It, it, you know, you you could find because you could very easily be like, okay, I'm wearing plus one armor, and at the end the metal is enchanted with you know whatever blah blah, blah gives me plus one strength. Uh, and it, uh, or or it, maybe you're like, okay, this is made from the scale of a dragon, so and uh, now it's it's plus one armor because of his because of tough dragon scales, and that's why it's it's gets it, and that's your magical solution. But if you want to do the exact same thing in sci-fi, all you have to do is yes, mechanically it's still a plus one armor, uh, but that's because it has energy cells that project a force field around it's, me. It's powered me armor. Yeah, exactly. So like, when like in terms of. I know there's certain themes you might want to hit and stuff like that, but I mean, like, there there's a way that you can give someone... I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like it mechanically is more important in my mind about how things function. Whereas if someone's like, I want to, like... If I'm an artificer and I like, I want to build energy shield armor, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. And it can totally... And we'll say that the instead of circuits, it has, like, runes that are carved. But I always describe runes on my magic items being... Like, they're not just, like you know, I don't know, symbols carved in. It's like coding. Mm. When you when you want to make a piece of magic armor in my world, you carve it full of, like, whatever, draconic runes, giant runes, celestial runes, whatever. And when you're carving those in, it's like typing out code on a, on, on a program. 
And that's how the magic functions, because you're literally spelling out in code how it's meant to function for this armor. So I feel like there isn't really a whole lot of difference whether you're coding with arcane runes, ones and the it, it, you know it kind of it comes out the same, you know. Yeah, I actually just thought of another really great example of like Joe how someone say Joe magic and science are pretty indistinguishable. Did you watch David Tennant's Doctor Who run? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I watched from Eccleston up to. Excellent, excellent. Do you remember the Shakespeare episode in David Tennant's run? Oh, vaguely. So in the Shakespeare episode, they come across a, a species of alien witches, right? And right. they use words. They basically use magic. They use magic to hurt people, right? Yeah. And there's a point where um, they kind of, the doctor and his assistant and whatever, the cat and Shakespeare all encounter them and they kind of have a bit of a scuffle and get away. And they're like, what the fuck? What are those? And he was like, oh, these are these. They use uh, combinations of certain words to cause effects that that would happen. Like, um, and, and then I think someone, one of them is like, are you saying they use magic? He's like, no, it's not magic. It's science. It was like, they, uh, you you guys use numbers to split the atom. They use words. And I was like, that's, that's so yeah. good. That's so it cool. Is. <laughs> it, it's exact. It's things like that that, will, that bridge magic and, and science so beautifully. Because it's it's like the Thor thing, you know. If if technology is like that, and when you're and if if the doctor's like, oh yeah, you put ones and zeros in a certain combination, and your phone then plays uh, no cat videos for you. Um, <laughs> someone someone else puts words uh, in Latin because why not in certain formations, and because of that, they code a spell in front of you, which is basically what the verbal component to every spell in D and D. Yes, you say certain words in a certain. Order. And that's how you activate a spell. Because, yeah, there's components to a spell, which are verbal, somatic, and, and material, in the same way that you need material components for your phone, which is like I need the actual physical parts. Yep. I, need, I need verbal... What, what would you be your somatic components? Is like the mechanical movement, the moving parts inside, I guess? I guess. And then the somatic components the is like the code? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's the exact same thing. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Like I said before, I'm not going to tell people that my... In my world, it's a bit more standard D&D. It's dragon, sword, sorcery. That's fine. I'm just saying don't discount the idea that you can have otherworldly, outerworldly stuff yeah. going on with um, with energy weapons and, and force fields and all this stuff. Because, I mean, they're there in spells already, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And like, like I was saying... Like... You can cast Wall of Force as a spell. Why can't you enchant a portcullis to drop down a Wall of Force... Yeah, and be, an and be an impenetrable way into your castle just by carving runes all around the Writing that down is an idea for the Guildhall. I know, I just, I just <laughs> put it in somewhere now. <laughs> no, that's that's getting added to the Guildhall once you're allowed back in that city. Yeah. I do have an idea for... for... No, I won't say it. I won't say it because I'll spoil something. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I had, uh, I had an idea for like it's essential certain something similar to that. It's sort of essentially like a magical bear trap, where it's a it'd be like a pressure plate in the middle with these two wooden boards buried down into the earth, and when you step on it, the two boards slide up either side of you, and both mm. boards are enchanted with conjure barrage. Oh, cool! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like when I are we talking about the mind flare? Um, you guys had the. The ship, the yes. little scout ship you stole. And you had that for ages to get around. That ship had a quote-unquote warp drive, which was essentially, it had the ability to cast the spell teleport. Yeah. You know? And we just had I to mean, feed sufficient spell slots into it, wasn't it? 
yeah, I, uh, Shamash could power it up by channeling his own magical energy into it by X number of spell slots. And that would basically charge the ship's systems. Because normally it would charge up by docking with the mothership. Mm. Um, but in this case, it, it, uh, he, he had to find a, a way to kind of retroact it. He, you ever see like someone whose car battery is dead, so they bring it into the house and hook it up with a little... <laughs> My dad had to do that for a bite for his motorbike a few times. I, um, no, I, geez, I, never, I never heard of someone taking the battery all the way out. Usually it's just, bring your car over there for a second. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, I think... Um, I can't remember why he had to do it. But like normally with a car, you can just jump it off someone else and yeah. run the engine a bit, and it'll, it'll the dynamo will charge it back up. Um, and for some reason he had, he had the battery. I think you had to take the battery apart and put like fresh battery acid or something in. I could be wrong on that. I don't quote me on this. Okay. Uh, but uh, I I remember passing through the dining room my parents' house a couple times, and just in the corner wall socket there was a thing plugged in, and it came off, and it, it linked up into red and blue um jumper cables. Jumper cables, essentially. And they were clipped onto either side of the bike battery. Mm. And it was just sitting there on the, on the little, what do you call it, the, the, the bottom part of yeah. the mantle of the, of the fireplace. Charging, charging my bike. <laughs> yep. Jesus. Um, so, Connor, I suppose I could, we've kind of talked a lot about why you should um, use sci-fi in, in your D&D campaign, what you can and what's good. Do you have any tips for how to implement it? Like, easy ways or good kind of narrative conceits just to to get that into your because like once once you already have it established in the world it's a lot easier to kind of get over that hurdle and go ahead and okay so now it's here how does this affect this and you can kind of logic out how that would affect the various things but in terms of like yeah. just getting over the initial hurdle of introducing this like whole new branch of fantasy into your current fantasy uh do you have any any tips um okay I'm going to go for a trifecta here. I don't know what they are yet, but I'm going to make it up as I go. Um, so, uh, tip number one. Uh, tip number one is just do it. Um, don't think about it too much. Um, tip number one, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> no, tip number, one, tip number one is just do it. I mean, the same way that you would just decide that a dragon lives on this mountain or that a uh, this city happens to be on top of a, a volcano built in... On, on... Just... Do it. Just decide that in this city, um, there is an inventor and he has invented firearms. There is this guy here and he's, I don't know, made a force field that surrounds the village. Because um, he's a, an elf that's lived here for 800 years and he's a, a 20th level artificer. Why not? Um, I'd say just do it. Just do it. Um, uh, worry about the how or, or rather worry. About, okay, so that's just do is my first point. Mm. Okay. This is going to fall apart so fast. I already know it. Um, Point number two, um, worry about how it happens after the fact. So if you if you decide, if someone comes to you, point one again, someone comes to you and says, I want to do this, or if you're thinking, ooh, it'd be really cool if they had a force field town, do it. Do it. Come up with what it's called and, and how it looks. Don't worry about the how. Point two, worry about the how. Um, <laughs> after the fact, after that, in your game, just make, just make it happen. Do what you want to do. And then figure out how it works afterwards. So, um, yeah. So at that point, then you can decide, right, well, this village has this force field technology, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Why does only this village have it? Why doesn't the next town over have it? Well, because it's not like, first of all, it's very expensive. Uh, maybe this village is built on a mithril mine. And maybe mithril is quintessential to building the arcane runes that create the force field around the town. Um, and, and also the 800-year-old elf, elf that lives there uh has sworn he will never you know 
Or maybe, maybe the 800-year-old elf lived there, built it, and then died. So that's why no one else has it, because no one wants to go messing with it, because they break it, and then they can't replicate it, and ultimately destroy the only one in existence. There's the why. I literally came up with that in the spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, point number three is... Uh, oh, see, I told you this to fall apart fast. Uh, point number three... So, what was it? Just do it. Worried about the how later. What, point number one was, uh, just do it. Worry about the how later. Point number two was worry about the how. Okay. And point point number three is have fun. Have fun. Do you know what? Solid. Have fun. Solid. Have fun. I, at the end of the day, um, I think have fun. Don't take it too seriously. Mm. That's it. Point number three is have fun. Don't take it too seriously. At the end of the day, it's a game. People are here to have fun. I totally, totally, totally understand wanting to build a world that makes sense. I. I fall into the trap all the time of trying to rationalize why X, Y, and Z happens in my world. Like I said a while ago, why is there a Viking Celtic culture and you cross the river and then suddenly you're in like Renaissance France? It makes no sense. But we we get over it. We don't think about it too much because at the end of the day, it's fun to be able to travel four days north and all of a sudden you're in an entirely different kingdom with different culture and all this other stuff. May I suggest another reason? Go on. Uh, Rosalia focused on societal progression and Kaela instead focused on military progression uh, yeah maybe also I, I, actually if we're, if we're going to get dive in this uh, Kaela is like starkly traditional as well um, like really traditional they, they they don't even use like firearms even though the firearms are fairly common knowledge in the world really um, it's fine, a handful of people might cut the bullet in half it's all good Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, and the thing is, like, I, I I've often justified like uh, I I played a character called Vaskeen for a long time. He would shoot everyone with an arrow. People would cross him even slightly. He'd be like arrow on the chest because in a world where you can cast cure wounds and seal <laughs> up a, a wound on your chest immediately, the consequences are pretty light, other than a bit of pain for yeah. sticking someone with an arrow. You know. Um, oh, dude, so like it, a, that's a stim pack there. If you're trying to do sci-fi cure wounds, that's a stim pack. There you go. That, that's cure a, wounds that, a stim pack. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a. Um, why can I not think of the word for a, a needle with an injector on? It's a syringe. Syringe. It's a syringe. <laughs> it's a syringe enchanted with, with cure wounds, and it's full of like this glowing green liquid that's like a liquefied spell, and you inject there it you into go. someone, and that's all. Actually, if you're if you're doing, if you're playing an artificer. Um, a lot of your spells you use either yes, tinkerer's tools or, yeah. or alchemist tools so you can totally be like pour this into that pour this into that shake it up into a syringe there you <laughs> yeah. go that's cure runes for you the artificer um, is probably like your best friend if, when it comes to class if you want classes if you want to do because like you can do Absolutely. energy cannons you can do a robot assistant you can do yep. uh, literally anything mechanical that you kind of want to <laughs> yeah uh, yeah but yeah so that that's my justification Th- those are my three points um yeah, what was my first one again? Help me out here. Just do it. Worry uh, about the how just do later. It. Worry about the how later. Point number two, worry about the how. Point number three, just have fun. Yeah, yeah. It took a while to get there, but I feel that that's a, a fairly round education in sci-fi into your D&D world. Yeah. Um, I, I, on another note for that that comparison between Redalia and Kaelda, uh, Kaelda being so like traditionalist and stuff is why they... You know, they have their culture the way they is. And the way I justify it then is that Redalia to the South are way more about societal stuff. And they, a lot of stuff, like, killed will just do the job because it needs doing. 
uh, people in Redalia are basically capitalists. Um, so they're like, I'll do it because it might make me rich. Yeah. Um, and also, it might make me better than the person next door. Like, if, I, if I'm if i earning 1,000 gold a day and my neighbor next door is 500 gold, I'm better than him and I like it that way. Um, that's basically Redalians in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, I, so yeah, um, so the, so even though they they're right next to each other and they've ne they've never I don't believe they've ever been at war. I'd have to check my notes on that. I don't think they've ever been at war on the door, but that's usually because they're both. You know? Um, and yeah, uh, so they they although they are different cultures, they don't really act a whole lot, um, because they just have very different values, and those values don't necessarily translate over the border back and forth. You know. Cool. Uh, I suppose one last thing. Do you have any considering you are this you are the designated sci-fi guy of this podcast? That's uh, that's what my driver's license says. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You don't have a driver's license. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, as as I would say, our our, to our token sci-fi guy. Do you have any either writers, shows, movies, books that you would recommend to anyone listening, or even myself, because I'm doing sci-fi stuff now, um, for like inspiration for D and D. Well, first off, um, Token Sci-Fi Guy is going to be my new channel. I'm launching it. <laughs> uh, subscribe down below. Um, Token Sci-Fi Guy would be a great channel name. Um, okay, tips. Uh, or, or sources, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, check out, even just look, look up some of the stuff for Rise of Legends. It's just a really great way of melding the two um, in a way that, like, it's kind of inconsequential, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's, just, it's just like, yeah, over here, it's like, genies and scorpions and over here it's it's da vinci punk steampunk clockwork men and stuff like that um check that out star wars is a great example as well uh, i know it's a it's pretty standard but star wars like when you think about it it's wizards it's samurai it's cowboys uh, and they're in space it's three it's three or four things that normally never go together and yet they work together you know um so i think that's probably a good one um yeah, uh, I, I'd imagine some of it, like, because I'm, I'm only aware they exist, I haven't read any, but I'd imagine especially some of, like, the, what they're called, are they called Star Wars Legends now, the expanded universe stuff, would have some wilder stuff than you'll see in the movies, probably. Oh, wait, are you are talking about the, the extended universe that was kind of deemed not canon after the new series came yes, out, the new yeah, trilogy? Yeah, the Star Wars, I think it's called Star Wars Legends now, isn't it? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, it, but there is there is a man. Oh man, there is forty years of That's insane I mean, yeah. stuff. Whether it's comic books, novels, video games, there's loads of stuff there. It's great. Um, what else do we have? Uh, I'm trying to think of games or movies. Well, I, I find it. Okay, again, I can. I'm really having a hard time thinking this. Uh, Skyrim has a cool one. If you look at like Morrow or or Morrow and look at Skyrim, Skyrim. Because both of them have a lot of uh, dwarven stuff, and oh, the dwarves yes. in, in the Elder Scrolls are very the Dwemer. They're very um, they're very uh, steampunky in their design. It, it's really cool because it's like actual dwarven stuff you'd expect, but there's a punk element to it. Mm -hmm. Oh, and look at Warhammer. There's dwarves in Warhammer who oh have like God, gyro yeah. stuff War like that. Warhammer forty k is literally like D and D sci-fi. Not, not even like uh, the the regular the regular Warhammer stuff as well. The dwarves in that have gyrocopters and. and uh, and pistols and stuff as well. There's, uh, I forget the, and have uh, dirigible balloons mm -hmm. that they float around in and have cannons mounted to and stuff. Um, I'm shocked you haven't said Stargate Atlantis yet. Stargate Atlantis, yeah, I'm not trying to think of stuff that's both sci-fi and fantasy for like. Stargate you know, Atlantis example. is very fantasy. Like, and I think yeah. I was going to say actually that we didn't bring up as well. You'll see it in every every sci-fi show. 
they'll have someone who uses a sword. He has like an end. They have like an energy sword or something, and like yeah. there'll be like a race of warrior aliens that all like use these like crazy energy swords and can teleport and go invisible and all this kind of like they very much interbreed and interchange. Like it's super, super, super yeah. common. I'd say um, t- basically, if you just look at any- anything sci-fi, if you want to implement it into your T and D world, but your world's maybe a little bit more fantasy, taking literally any sci-fi aspect you want to implement, right? And then just find a reason why that would work in a magical sense. If you want to have like a an imperial star destroyer, like maybe maybe someone in your world has an like an evil kingdom or whatever has an evil an imperial star destroyer, and the Dark Lord, your version of Sauron, maybe a bit more like Darth Vader, and he's an anti paladin or something. Um, Vauron. Vau <laughs> yes, Vauron. Um, Schmar Schmader. Um, <laughs> but like. Just be like, okay, well, okay, what would Darth Vader be in this world? Your audio just cut in there, sorry. But... Oh, sorry. Um, he'd probably be like an anti-paladin or, or an oathbreaker or something like that. Cool, that's him sorted. Uh, and then give him like a, a, a sun blade, but make it necrotic damage instead. It looks red. And it's a dark um, blade. <laughs> and it's a dark blade. It's a shadow blade. It's a dark um, saber. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you want to be like, okay, what, how would an Imperial Star Destroyer work? Um... Just do what, like whatever you want to make this fantasy work. They've harnessed crystals from a certain cave, and those crystals can be mounted to the outside. Enormous. It's not even. It's not even a star destroyer. It's a castle. Mm-hmm. It's a floating castle, and the castle specifically floats because there are crystals in its foundation that could. And when you sit in the chair in the throne room, you're controlling that flying castle. I'm getting into Stargate Atlantis territory. You're getting dangerously uh, close to stuff I was thinking about for my game or something. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then like, like what, like, yeah, I mean, look, we, look, we, I, we kind of said this to death already. The, they, that why something behaves the way it does is not really important because it's interchangeable. You know, again, like we said a while ago with the example of Fireball. A, a piece of metal that happens to be shaped like a gun that casts Firebolt. Mm-hmm. It, fun- it functions the exact same, you know. The, the function is the same. How you choose to shape it or skin it can make it more or less sci-fi. Um, arcane sounds like a, I, I have to... a great example of how you can have something that looks technological, but the the why the the why it's happening on the back end is totally. There's a great example of that as well. We we're saying, you know, if it's something that's fantasy, you can just kind of reskin it and just come up with a logical reason why, like, a technology powers this instead. Exactly, than magic. Yeah. So, like, um, I, I'm not a big Zelda fan, but I believe, is it called the Titan Gauntlets in um, Legend of Zelda? Where um, they're, like, gloves that make Link really strong and he can pick stuff up that's really heavy. It sounds like something that would be, but I cannot say for certain. I, I, I think it might begin with it's, 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 but there's yeah, basically there's a magical pair of gloves that in uh, in um, Breath of the Wild and other as other Zelda games where you can it, it allows you to pick up really heavy really large objects and just move them really easily and like those are a pair of, of magical gauntlets that allow you to do that in Arcane they eventually develop a pair of gauntlets as mining tools that are powered by Hextech and they do literally the exact same thing and it's just they, they, they have this, it's this big mechanical hand and they like drop uh, a Hextech uh, power source into the hand there and you see it just goes and kind of yeah then he literally does what he, what Link does in uh, in Legend of Zelda and like picks up a big rock and crushes it with his hand like it's so easy it's so so you just 
Oh, yeah. you, you need like the flimsiest justification as the way to put it. Like. <laughs> Prime example of what that could be in D&D. Gauntlets of Ogre Strength. Yes. And and whether you decide to skin them as the white and gold gauntlets with the with the, the ogre's face on them that they are in the DMG, or whether you say to your players, you find a pair of brassy colored dark iron or dark iron and brass colored things. They've got cogs and little servos and stuff on the outside. And when you pull them on, all the cogs start whizzing and you can feel like your your grip is stronger. That's it. It's all you need. It, it, it can be the sci-fi. Maybe it even has like you know little uh, servos and stuff that run up your arms that give you like additional. Yeah. That. How the what it does in the end game is far more important. The mechanical is far more important. Whether you want to lean more sci-fi or fantasy, because again they're the same thing. Um, whether you want to lean one way or the other is really how you skin it. Mm-hmm. And Martin. Yes, Connor. That's all the time we have for today. Dude, that was really fun. Like, I've had, I honestly had such a blast talking about sci-fi. Uh, and like, it was, I was saying, she was like, it's such because it was such a last-minute decision for me to just do that in my campaign now. And just thinking, was like, no, we should talk about this because there's so much you can do, and it's all like mm-hmm. really, really exciting. And it just opens up a whole new avenue for really cool stuff. And like, hey, maybe now you have like, you were saying, I can't remember what series said it was, but there are like these like crazy like biomech guns or stuff. Like, you could end up coming out of an arc with this where you have like. Say, for like your party, you have like a ranger, you have a wizard, you have a monk, and you have a cleric. You come out of it then, and your ranger now, instead of using a bow, has this like biomech arm cannon that like attaches onto his arm and like projects a laser bow for him now instead. And it does force yeah. damage instead of piercing damage. Oh, so fun. There's a guy, there's a guy in it, in it's, it's not really an anime, but it is. It's a French um, animated thing called Oban Star Racers. It's mm. really good. There's a prince in that from a different world, and Violin's and he even it. says he even says magic magic words. What he does is he'll draw his bow with no arrow, and he'll say the magic words, and the arrow will manifest, in, and different effects will happen with the arrow based on that. And again, he's an arcane is a, archer, is what he is. <laughs> he's an arcane archer, but this this is a sci-fi world, but. That is very much looks like magic. So mm. they, they can be so interchangeable. Um, Perfect. But yeah. Uh, Connor, where yes. can people find you on the internet? People can find me on the internet uh, he, here on the Mike Flares podcast uh, every Friday at 6 p.m. Irish time. Mm. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter at 0pointconnor, Z E R P O I N T C O N O R, one N, very important. Um, Martin, where can people find you on the internet? Sure, uh, people can find me on the internet on Twitter at So Sorry It's Over. You can also find me on uh, the Mike Flares podcast Twitter at Mike Flares Pod on Twitter, both of which are in the right hand corner of my screen and then further down again. Um, you can also find a lot, all of our social links there too. Um, other than that, you can mainly find me every Friday here on the Mike Flares podcast, 6 p.m. Irish time, with one of my best mates to talk about D&D. And so that that's be... on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor Breaker, and Radio Republic. Sorry, really, I forgot to mention that. Was like really ago. impressive. All those platforms. I know. They allow us to do this. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, yeah, that'll be a goodbye from Connor. Later, folks. And it'll be a goodbye from me. And we will see you on the next episode of the My Flares podcast. It's not you. <laughs>